This morning's scripture comes from 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. This is God's word. Hello, how are we? Yeah, what are we laughing at? Did I, the verse? Yeah, I'm sure it is. Um, all right. So we've been working our way through this passage. Um, and I'm going nice and slow because there's a lot of stuff in here that gets very, very misunderstood and very messy when you screw things up. Uh, I mean, you interpret the Bible wrong and you end up having crusades. Um, so <laughs> we need to work our way slowly through a lot of these things and figure out exactly what they mean. Um, and so with that, we're going we're gonna to open up an order of prayer. We're going to ask God for wisdom and that I won't lose connection to my slides again and again and again. All right, uh, let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for everything that you have done for us. We are, we are not worthy of your grace or your mercy. We are not worthy to come together and be called your body and to sit and to study your word. Thank you for preserving these ancient pages for thousands of years so that we could sit here and study what uh, these ancient followers of you went through and had to deal with and... and uh, and they're wrestling with many of the same questions we are wrestling with. And they are going through things that, that most of us will never have to go through. But, find, but I ask that, that we would find a way to understand their mindsets and what they would hear when they read these and, and heard these ancient words. Um, give us knowledge. Give us wisdom to apply that knowledge. Um, remove the distractions, the stresses, and worries of our day for a little while here so that we can focus on you. And then maybe when we pick them back up, maybe we will have more wisdom on how to deal with them. Speak through me. Give me um, um, clarity of mind to remember the things that I've studied and communicate clearly the things of your word. Uh, may we be humbled at, uh, at, at um, the truths that are buried in these scriptures. We love you, God. In your name, amen. All right, so... Uh, going to be one of those things. All right, here we go. All right. So I'm going to start here. Likewise, husbands live with your wives. So um, if you haven't been here before Easter, we've been, we've been, we've been going back for about 18 verses here. Um, there's a certain subject that Peter's been talking about. It's, it's the subject of oppression. Um, and it started off, uh, he talks about submission. We're talking about the spiritual discipline of submission, what it means to submit to each other in godly love. Um, and then the question, I guess, would have been raised, well, what do we do in the case of oppressive um, emperors? How do we submit to godly, how do we submit to ungodly authorities? And so he addressed that. And then uh, what about ungodly employment? What about slaves and masters? What about people owning other people? And so how do we submit in this situation? And then Paul talks about this, the Christian discipline of submission. And then what about the first century Roman ideas of marriage, patria potestas, how men owned women and uh, women couldn't, they were relegated to the outskirts of society. They didn't even live with their husbands. Um, they could not even go out in public. They couldn't hold positions of office. They couldn't have run businesses. They couldn't own land, nothing. They were owned property worse than slaves. How do we practice Christian submission, submission in this instance? And we talked about that. Um, side note, I woke up with the sniffles this morning, and so I'm going to be sniffing. Sorry. And I'm going to be talking through my, through my nose, my mouth. I don't know. Nose is clogged, whatever that means. Um, so this is my voice today. Um, and so we get to a passage like this where, um, remember, Scriptures always address the oppressed person first. 
unlike anyone else in history has, and then speaks to the person who is in the position of oppressing them. So it's going to go, uh, slaves first, we're going to talk to you, and then we're going to talk to your masters. Um, and then it says, uh, wives who have been oppressed under the Roman um, method of, of, of marriage, we're going to talk to you first, and then we're going to talk to your husbands. Um, and so one of the problems with, with first century um, Rome was that the men didn't live with their wives. Um, and so children never saw, little boys never learned what it means to be um, a man of God. Um, their daughters never learned, it was never modeled for them what it was like um, to know a godly man when you saw one. Um, the wives were sort of, were very disconnected from their husbands. The husbands could, um, re- would regularly go out and take part in the brothels and the, the temple prostitution and the worship of the pagan gods through sex and all of these insane things that were going on in that, in that day and age. And so um, Peter writes to the men and says, guys, very simple idea. Husbands, live with your wives. How's that sound? Can we, start th- can we start there? Can we start by living with our wives, dwelling with them? And so um, hit the next slide for me. I'm, it's, this is going to keep happening. Um, the, the word here is synoikeo. Say it is synoikeo. There you go. There we go. We're speaking Greek here. Um, it means to live with, uh, to dwell in the same space as. So literally he's telling them, dwell with your wives, live there with them. Um, this would have been very out of the ordinary for ancient Rome, where the women all lived together, separate from their husbands. It's a very interesting thing. He says to him, and it's not just that he wants him um, uh, to live with them. It's that, it's that they are to, to have a certain role in the home. Um, and so in Ephesians 4, we read this. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So men, you have, you're in a unique position. You have this incredible um, job and, and pleasure that, that when you're your, your family, your children, and your wife think of you, they should think of Jesus. This is an incredible thing. Uh, when your wife thinks of her husband, she should think, my husband loves me, Jesus loves me. My husband pursues me, Jesus pursues me. The attributes that my husband has are the same attributes that Jesus has, and you should be Jesus to her. The children should think, my, my father, he protects me, and Jesus protects me. Uh, my father provides for me. Jesus provides for me. The position that you are in with your family should be such that when they think of you, they think of Jesus. This is one of the privileges that, that you have as a man to represent Jesus in your home. It's a huge deal. Um, when she thinks of you, she should think of Jesus. Um, put the next slide up for me. All right. So we're going to continue here. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Um, there's two words for understanding in, um, in scriptures. Um, one of them is epigenosis. Um, epigenosis. There we go. I don't know why I like to do this. I just love it. I feel like, I, I feel like I'm not alone. Um, epigenosis, a knowledge that comes from doing. This is the way that we are to learn about God. This is the best possible way for you to learn about God. Uh, usually, almost everywhere where Paul talks about knowing God, he uses this word, epigenosis. Um, over 500 years ago, we didn't really have the printing press. We didn't have copies of the Bible. And throughout history, for about 1,500 years there, the best way people learned about God was by doing what he said, by teaching 
his ways, by taking part in what he was doing in this world. Um, regularly, they would, they would hear it. Sometimes they would hear it, uh, the Bible read. Most of them were illiterate, but they would hear the Bible read from their pastors or whatever. Um, and most of the church at the time was corrupt, and it, they were sort of distorting the teachings of Jesus. But as the people actually practiced love and grace and mercy, it changed them, and they came to learn who Jesus was by practicing. And so this is an incredibly important way of knowing Jesus. It's practicing these things. Epigenosis. Um, the word he uses here is not epigenosis. The word here is gnosis. This is different. This is knowledge that doesn't come about by doing. It comes about by um, paying attention to, by listening, by studying. Um, comes about by hearing, listening, and studying. So um, obvious, it's obvious why he uses this word instead of epigenosis because um, I guess... I mean, even if you dress up like a woman, man, you're not really going to know what it's like to be a woman. So there's that. Um, I don't know. That's the, even if you act like a woman, you're not really going to fully understand. So he says, what I want you to do is this. I want you to study and listen to and speak with and converse with and have open lines of communication and learn about your wife. I want you to learn everything about her, who she is, how she thinks. Um, I want you... Um, to listen to her deepest, inmost thoughts. Um, Men, let me help you out here. Um, Of all of the things that you think the women in your life want, of all of the things you think that they want, that you could give them that they'd be happy with, um, most of them are way off. Most of them are totally wrong. Um, Let me help you out with the most important one. They want to be known. They want you to listen to them, to feel what they're feeling, to reflect back to them what they are feeling and to go there with them emotionally. Women want to be known. Um, and so uh, let's talk about some stats. Um, men typically from, from um, the studies that have been done, uh, they find that men say three times, as many, three, three times as many words in public as they do in private. When men talk... Um, Researchers tell us that they're doing what they, what they kind of call re- report talk. Um, if you go to a party and men and women are there, they're going to separate into small little groups. That's what always happens. Um, and the men are going to be telling stories and trying to up each other's stories. Um, what men are typically doing is trying to find out where they are on, on, on the male hierarchy. They want to know who they honor, who they respect, and who honors and respects them. It's, it's how the typical male brain works. It's not universal, but it's the vast majority of men. Um, uh, we find our, our worth in the things that we've accomplished, the things that we've done. Uh, women, on the other hand, um, the research tells us that they connect um, through a completely different way. When women are actually talking, they're doing a different thing than men are doing. When women are talking and conversing, they are connecting and relating. They're talking about, and then he did this to me. And the other women say, oh, no, he did not. <laughs> they're feeling each other, what they're saying, and they're reflecting back, and, and they're... They're getting into the mindset of each other and their mouths go, and and they have these responses. And if you look at men, they're not doing that at all. (laughs) Totally different. When we talk, we're typically not doing the exact same thing. Um, And so what happens is women in private tend to say three times more words in private than they do in public. The exact opposite of men. Um, Why? Because women want to be known. Women actually use conversation for the right reason, which is relating to other people. Um, forming meaningful connections, whereas men are trying to figure out who they're better than, typically, um, uh, and who they can learn from to become better than the other people. Uh, it's, it's kind of a default mode of men, 
And it's kind of a default mode of women. Women talk to relate and connect. And so most of the time um, when women go to counseling, they end up talking about how um, life kind of feels like this. Um, They're serving conversation and there's nobody there. And the ball is just bouncing to the fence. And they're like, well, let me try this one, a different hit. Let's see. And the guy's just like, uh huh, it was a hit. There it goes. And they're like, please hit it, hit it back. Just talk to me, hit the ball back, please. And so we'll serve, they'll serve up all these different modes of converse, conversation, and, and the men just don't say anything. Why? Because, first off, if there was more people around, he would be talking. He would be talking because men find their worth and their achievements and their accomplishments. Women, on the other hand, tend to find their worth from the right thing, the kind of person that they are. Women are better than men. Sorry. Um, They actually find their self-worth in the kind of person that they are. And this is very important to understand, men. It's completely different than the way you tend to think. Um, They find their actual worth not in the same things that you find your worth in. So oftentimes when you're trying to make her feel special and, and worthy, you're, you're kind of missing it. Hit the next, hit the next slide for me. Um, I, I wanted to put this up. It's my favorite Banksy piece um, about social media and how like nobody's commenting, nobody's liking, and I have no friends. Um, <laughs> but um, I'm using this sort of to transition into uh, a conversation about how men and women, you can see all of this in how they use social media. Um, men, typically you'll go, go through your feed and um, a girl will post like a selfie or something um, and ha- look at the comments sometime. What do all the women say to her? Oh my gosh, you're so beautiful. I love your hat. I love your dress. I love your glasses, your lipstick. What color is it? Oh, you look gorgeous. Um, you look incredible. Like emoticon with the heart eyes all the way across. Just <laughs> all of it. Men, when you post a selfie... What do guys do? They ridicule and mock you <laughs> into smithereens. Why? Because you deserve it. <laughs> because you did that. Um, but I want you to think about what this means, especially men. I want you to think about what this means, why we do this. Um, a woman posts a picture of herself because what? She feels beautiful. And so she posts the picture, not for the guys, but for the girls, because the girls are going to do the actual right thing and, and, and affirm her feeling. I feel beautiful. Here's me feeling beautiful. All the women. Well, you look beautiful. It's right that you feel this way. Okay. This is a very good thing. This is a very important thing that women do in society. Incredibly important. Um, and I want you to sort of think about this because in the same way, uh, in the same way that men um, have a role in the home of their wives, think about them and they think of Jesus. They think of them and they think of Jesus in all these different ways. Uh, it's the same thing with women. Think about it like this. Um, women take your pain or your joy or your salt, whatever, upon themselves and they feel what you're feeling. What did God do? He sent Jesus into this world to get into our situation, to feel what we're feeling, to become, as the scriptures say, familiar with our sufferings. And oftentimes, men, when a woman tells you um, this happened today and this happened today, and then you jump in and you try to fix it, that's not what she's looking for. That's not what she needs. She needs you to listen and say, that must be incredibly hard. If I was in your place and I went through the same thing you went through, I would feel the same way. And the problem, it's not fixed, but it's better. It's made better because you are familiar now with her sufferings. 
And so this is one of the feminine attributes of God that he has put on women who are made in the image of God. And so if you really want to understand Jesus more, men, understand your wives, study, listen to, get in their minds, get in their heads, understand the way they think and the way they tick and what makes them act the way that they do. Understand why women feel what each other are feeling because we have a God that does the exact same thing. And just as she can learn from you and the attributes of God that you carry, you can learn from her and the attributes of God that she carries. And when both come together, we fully understand the picture of what marriage is supposed to do. The ancient Jews have always believed this. This is Christians have always believed this. And so Peter says to his audience, men, I want you to contemplate where your wives have been. Women up to that point in history have always been oppressed by men. Always. He says, think about your wives and and, and the time and place that they are living in and what they are going through and bear that burden with them. And after you bear it, help them walk out of it and change it. And then these women would enter into the church and they would feel things they've never felt. Respect, honor, they'd be educated. They'd be lifting up to to positions of authority in the church um, in, in ways that society had never allowed them. This is what Peter wanted for them. So let's look at the next part of the verse. Showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Now, this is the one that, that sometimes gets people in trouble. It gets a little misogynistic sometimes. Um, but I, I'm going I'm to open up this passage, and I want you to read this in this whole new light. Because my goal right now is to change, men, how you look at your wife. Okay? I, I'm going to do everything in my power to change it right now using the actual context of Scripture here. We're going to start off by looking at the word as. Um, it is the word Hos. It means like. Uh, it's the same words. Uh, it's the same word that is used all through the teachings of Jesus, especially in Matthew ten. Behold, I send you out, hos, as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be shrewd, hos, as serpents and innocent as doves. It's not saying women. It's not. It's not saying she is a weaker vessel. It's saying like a weaker vessel. Now, why would it say like a weaker vessel? What does this mean? What? Um, could this possibly, um, h- how could we possibly understand what this is trying to say? Let me find my place in my notes here so I can really just, just kick your butt. Hold on. Um, so the context of all of this is showing honor as what? As, as the weaker vessel. Um, weaker today doesn't mean the same thing that weaker meant back then. Um, today, weaker means inferior. Weaker means, um, it's, it's kind of like, um, it's cheap. For instance, everything I have ever bought from Ikea, I have broken. All of it. The stove, the oven, the, the floor. How do you break the floors? I did it. Um, all the plates, the tables, the chairs. I break stuff. That's what I do. I break stuff. Um, and so if we want stuff to be strong, we have to pay a lot more money for it. And so it's stronger. Now, this is the complete opposite of ancient times. If you really want to understand how this word was used, uh, throw the next slide up for me. Um, you have to get into the mindset of, of ancient peoples and hear what they would hear. So, Romans chapter 9 has a really good example of how these words should be used and combined together. Uh, it says this, But who are you, O man, to answer back to God, what, will what is molded say to its molder, Why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the, de- over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and the other for dishonorable use. So we have a piece of clay, and he says, 
Uh, the potter can do whatever he wants. God is the potter. God can make a, clay, a piece of clay for dishonorable use and another one for honorable use. And we hear this and we think honorable, dishonorable. One means good and moral. The other means bad and immoral, dishonorable, bad. That's, again, you're removing it from its context. If you want to understand what the original hearers heard, you must understand um, really how things were made and the language that they used to talk about them. Um, hit the next slide for me. This in first century, is called a dishonorable vessel. It is very thick, heavy, hard to break. Um, it's also very cheap. It doesn't take a lot of craftsmanship to make this. It would be a dime a dozen. They were not expensive. The opposite of Ikea stuff. You pay a little bit of money, and it breaks easily. Here, you pay a little bit of money, and it just lasts forever. It's the complete opposite. Um, it, it didn't take much to make it. You just mold a piece of clay and you put it near a fire and it dries and you can fill this thing up. You can drop it. You can sling it over your shoulder. You can throw it to other people. It's not going to break. They can be made out of clay, stone, wood, all kinds of things that these things would be made of. Um, and this would be a dishonorable vessel. It's just an everyday dish. Okay? Um, this is an honorable vessel in ancient times. Very difficult to make, very thin, um, easy to break, priceless, very, very, very expensive. The fact that this thing survived, this was from about 500 years before the time of Jesus. The fact that this thing survived itself is almost a miracle because of all, think about all the time that has passed, the earthquakes, the storms, the floods, um, the wars, um, even into modern times, the bombings and the, and the uh, invasions and the hands that this thing has changed through. And, and here it is, incredibly brittle, incredibly easy to break, but beautiful. Very, very expensive. Now, these would be made for different specific purposes. Um, when Rome would win a war, they would hire um, a master craftsman to make an honorable pot, a very nice, expensive clay pot to make this thing. Um, this one in particular um, has a theological bend to it. It was made for the purpose of teaching people about God. And this is, this is typically what we find um, in archaeology. Um, you, you, if you look through all the pots collected and the, clays, the clay pots that have been sort of discovered and, and restored, um, and you look at the stories that are written on them, a lot of them, the majority of them, are about Greek gods, Greek mythological gods, and the stories that, uh, that they were trying to sort of remember. Um, and so this one here um, is telling a story of, of different Greek gods and things that are going on. And so one of the other things that this would do, it would sit on a shelf. You wouldn't use it very often. You would rarely use it. But it would also tell the stories about the Greek gods. And so I want you to think about this. Hit the next slide for me. I, I want you to think about this. Um, what he's basically saying here is treat your wife with honor just as you would treat a fine work of a master craftsman. And I want you to think about it on, on another level. Um, she is handcrafted by the, by, by the hands of God, um, incredibly beautiful, should be protected and preserved. And by the way, she bears on her the image and the story of God. Incredible. Complete opposite of how we tend to take these kinds of passages. If you have ever heard anyone try to tell you that this passage means women are inferior or anything like that, I want you to know they are wrong and mistaken. It probably wasn't malicious. It was probably ignorance. We do this a lot. We need to approach the scriptures humbly. Um, 
There is no place for a thought. I mean, um, I mean, see, a lot of the commentaries even pull up the word and say, well, the, ver- the word means like physically weaker. And yes, it does, but it's not referring to necessarily people. I mean, there's not going to be this blanket statement that women are, women are physically weaker. I mean, most of the women, in, a lot of women in this room could probably best me at most physical matches of strength. I mean, I could beat you at like Scrabble and maybe Mario Kart 64, but that's about it. Um, I'm what you call built for comfort, not speed. I'm a luxury automobile, not a sports car. Um, And so the woman is there to actually tell the story of God with you, men. And and then the, the text goes this direction, since they are heirs with you of the grace of God. All the things that you are to do, they are to do as well. They are here with us, made in the image of God, like us. Um, Difference, yes, but entrusted with the same duty to be the image bearers of God in this place. Heirs, not inferiors. And so, anywhere that women have been oppressed, in the name of Jesus, has caused God to grieve for his children. Anywhere that women have not had equal rights as co-heirs of God with man, God has stood against it. Anytime that you have looked upon a woman's physical body with anything other than respect and honor for her has been in defiance of the gospel. Anytime that you have lustfully accepted a woman's body but rejected the responsibility to love, honor, and protect and cherish her until the day she dies, according to scriptures, is the opposite of how God intends us to operate and relate with them. Think about it like this. When God accepted you, he didn't just take the parts of you that he liked. Many men today receive the parts of women that they like namely the physical body. But if you look at how Jesus loves us and received us, he received all of us, including our life, our heart, our mind, our future in sickness and in health until death. And so the idea of God's people has always been to receive part of a person and reject the rest of them and your responsibility to them is making God a liar. To come together in that way, to receive the most intimate side of someone, their physical sexuality, and to reject their heart, their soul, their mind, their future, is a lie. And that is not how God's people have ever been supposed to operate. We believe marriage is a picture of God. And so we come together, and when we receive somebody, you receive all of them forever in the way that God receives his people. This is how it was always supposed to be. All of her. Next slide. So let's finish the verse here. Since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. Okay, so this one's interesting. So are you saying that depending on how I treat my wife, if I don't understand her, if I'm not treating her with honor and respect... If I'm not treating her right, uh, my prayers could somehow be hindered to God. Exactly what it's saying. Exactly. Yes. Why? How? This doesn't make a lot of sense. So let's talk about this. Um, Men, imagine you have a daughter. 
Imagine you're older, you're married, you have a daughter, and you raised her, you loved her from the day she was born. And now she's maybe 17, 18, and this guy comes along, and he physically wants her, and um, he starts dating her, and you know he's sleeping with her, treating her disrespectfully, treats her like garbage, um, doesn't care about her future, doesn't care about the rest of her. He just wants her body. And then imagine this guy comes up to you and starts asking for stuff. Hey, can I I get 10 bucks? Hey, you have any open work in your company. You can get me a job there. Yeah, we can work together, me and you. It'll be fun. Um, hey, um, I could use a new car. Can I have a car? And he starts asking you for stuff. How would you feel about this guy? I would argue that it would be very unsafe to be this guy. <laughs> Not the safest position you could be in. The problem is this is how Christian men act every single day to God. And they treat God's daughters in this way. And then they get on their hands and knees and they pray, Hey, God, I need more money. I need this. I need that. Hey, give me this. Give me that. I'd be terrified if I were you. Because he loves his daughter more than anybody you've ever met. And he's really strong. Uh, I'd be terrified. So people come up to me once in a while and, and, and I know their situation and they're, um, they're sort of acting this way with a woman and they come to me, hey man, I, pray for me about this over here. Um, I, just, I really need prayer for that. Like, You're gonna go to her dad and ask for that and you want me to go with you? Uh-uh. Are you crazy? I, you have some kissing up to do, buddy. Like you should be terrified. I, I would imagine that your prayers to God could be hindered. Um, and this, to me, takes me back to uh, several months ago, we talked about the idea of, of fake sunglasses, how the Harvard study found that people who wear fake sunglasses are 70% more likely to lie, cheat, steal, um, and murder. No, not murder. Um, uh, and there was another one. Oh, judge people harshly. Same thing as murder. Um, judge people harshly. Um, and, and fake sunglasses can do this. And they're like, this is baffling to us that somebody wearing fake sunglasses, that it would, it would affect them this much in their life. And to Christians, it's not surprising because we know the soul wants to be whole. It wants to be one. It wants to be the same. Um, we talk about integrity. We want to be the same person. Our soul wants us to be the same person when we are alone as we are when we are in public. That no matter where we are, we are the same person. Your soul longs for that. Have you ever read about the effects, the health effects of cognitive dissonance? Saying you believe something um, and then doing something else, like believing something and then doing something else, it actually has physical side effects that are physically damaging to your body. It can kill you. The stress of cognitive dissonance can kill you. Your soul desperately wants to be one. And so when you treat people in ways that you ought not be treating them, your soul is going to follow the path of least resistance and it's probably going to start heading down that way. And so these little dark corners of your life that you don't bother messing with and cleaning up, um, and you know you have these sin things in your life, you don't bother fixing them. And then you wonder why your relationship with God isn't going well. Um, Anytime people come to me and they say, hey, my marriage is not going well, um, I ask them oftentimes about their walk with God because these two things are are exactly congruent. Um, Hit the next slide for me. Um, Jesus said this in Matthew 6, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. Um, The things that you do, the actions that you do are setting a course, a path for your soul. It will head that direction. 
And you will move farther away from the things that you, in your mind, kind of want to be a part of. Um, and so, sometimes I'll hear people talk about how, um, you know, oh, my relationship with God is awesome, but my relationship with my spouse and with other people is just, uh, it's not, well, it's not good. They're lying. The two things go hand in hand. As you move closer towards respect and love and graciousness of your spouse, you move towards um, oneness with God. These two things go hand in hand. Um, hit the next slide. We know this from, from 1 John 4.20. He who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this, I could pull out 20 or 30 passages of scripture that kind of echo the exact same thing, that your relationship with God and your relationship with people are combined. They relate. People will actually stand before God according to scriptures and say, um, I did all these things for you. Look at all I did. I gave, I served, I did ministry, I planted churches, and God will say, uh, I don't even know who you are. They say, but look at all these things I did. And he'll say, you know what? When I was sick, you didn't, you didn't come to see me. When I was naked, you didn't clothe me. When I was hungry, you didn't feed me. And they'll say, what? When, when were you sick and naked and hungry and I didn't give you any of these things? What are you talking about? And God will look at them and he'll say, when you didn't do it to the least of these, you didn't do it to me. In other words, your relationship with people, how you treat people, and how you is direct correla- directly correlated to how um, your relationship with God is doing, the health of your relationship with God. These two things are connected. They move in the same direction. As you move away from people, you move away from God. As you move towards people, you move towards God. It's a very, very important thing to understand. Your prayers can absolutely be hindered by not treating your wife in a way that is loving, caring, understanding, cherishing, treasuring, honoring, taking care of her in the way that you are commanded to, men. One who does not fully love and submit to others the way that Jesus did cannot fully love God the way that he should love God. Maybe you're here today and there's a spouse, maybe a people group, a a race, uh, maybe a, a type of person, a specific acquaintance that you have uh, that you've not been honoring. Well, your relationship with God is going to be attached to that. And there, there are aspects of God that you'll never know. There's a closeness to God that you will never feel until you strive to make these things right, until you move in this direction. Um, we have to start honoring each other, husbands and spouses, friends and neighbors, coworkers and bosses. We, we all know, men especially, we all know full well how exquisite the women in our lives are. We do. We know it. Um, we honestly need to spend more time responding by giving honor where it is due, getting to know your spouse, listening, affirming, reflective listening. How do you feel about this? And thinking to yourself, if I was in her shoes, I would feel the same way. You know, there's a special kind of abuse that some men level out on the women in their lives where um, it kind of looks like this. This is one aspect of it. Subtle kind of insults and, and prodding, just small, little, degrading little words, just small ones. And they go for a while and eventually she gets very upset. And then he can kind of say something to the effect of, don't be so sensitive. This is a special kind of emotional abuse that men should never take part in. 
making a woman feel something and then making her feel crazy for feeling it. So painful, so abusive. Men of God should never take part in that. The men of God should be seeking to understand what the women in your life are feeling. It's, it's harder for you. It will be hard for you, but it's an absolute command of God to understand your wife, to get into her shoes and to think, if I was her, how would I feel? And then affirm, it is right that you feel this way. One of the biggest problems with justice in the world today, people who are suffering, is that no one sees them. And when you affirm, hey, I see you, I, I see what, what they did to you was not right. I affirm that. I affirm the way that you're feeling. Your feelings are valid. And I affirm them and I affirm you. And I'm so sorry you're going through this. Oftentimes, that is the first step towards fixing most problems in this world. An attempt to understand. But we live in such a divisive world today. We don't want to understand anything from anybody else's point of view. This could heal cities and nations. I mean, have you watched the news? If you attempt to look at things from other people's side can fix things. And so I don't know where you're at today. We're going to spend some time in communion. Our communion service, you guys can go ahead and, uh, and prepare for this. Um, I imagine there's a lot of men here who have neglected this side of their wife. That you have not bestowed honor upon her the way that you should. You have not been trying to get in her shoes and understand what she's thinking. And I imagine this conversation needs to be had and it's going to be difficult but you need to attempt to understand your wife and where she's coming from. There are sides of Jesus that you will never know until you understand your wife. And if you want to know Jesus, you must understand your wife fully. So we're going to spend some time in prayer uh, and we're going to spend some time in communion. This is a time when we reflect on the ways that we have not lived up to what Jesus wanted for us. And um, we take communion. Um, It's nothing special. It's, it, communion is, um, one of the words for communion is common. It's simple things. It's bread. It's wine. It symbolizes the body of Christ and the blood of Christ. We rip a piece of bread off. We dip it in the wine and we say, I remember Jesus, what you did for me, how you took my pain upon yourself. Thank you for entering into becoming familiar with my sufferings in this world. And we eat it and we take the gospel down inside of us and we ask God to help the gospel touch the parts of us that we need to, that need to be touched. So let's spend some time in prayer. Father, we love you. I ask that you would be with us now. You would cleanse us. You would make us whole. You would help us to fully repent, rightly repent of all the ways that we have have wronged you and not done right. Thank you. Help us as we take the wine and the bread and your body and, and your blood upon us and we take it down inside of us that we would remember what you went through to understand and love and forgive and bring us your salvation. Thank you, God. In your name, amen. Take some time, take communion, and talk to Jesus.